Welcome to Launch It Girl, where business coach, marketing strategist, and ex-corporate leader, Kenzie Mackis, will show you how to launch, market, and scale a business and brand that feels authentically you, leveraging her proven framework for getting known, seen, and heard online so that you can overcome perfectionism, feelings of imposter syndrome and confusion, and finally launch yourself into a life full of abundance and freedom. I have such a fun guest with me today, this morning, on this beautiful Friday. Uh, welcome, Dr. Chelsea Byers. It's so good to have you. Thanks for inviting me. Yes. So Chelsea is a pelvic health expert and energy medicine practitioner. And she's also a dear friend of mine and a client. And I've had the pleasure of really diving in with Chelsea over the last, gosh, couple months. Um, Mm -hmm. But we go so far back, which is so fun. We actually met each other in college and it's just really so awesome how life is full circle. And here we are. And gosh, it's so good to have you on here. I want though my listeners to know a little bit more about what you do, who you are, and really just share your energy with us. Yeah. So like Ken said, I am a pelvic health expert and energy medicine practitioner. So when I say pelvic health, everybody immediately is, well, what is that? So pelvic health, physical therapy. So I've trained as a physical therapist and then went on to specialize in pelvic health, physical therapy, which is in essence, addressing the bowel, bladder, digestive, and sexual dysfunctions that anybody may occur for various reasons. And then in that journey, I have found that so many physical symptoms that someone experiences also is really contributed by energetic imbalances. So that's where I got into the energy medicine to help more effectively and more wholly eliminate those physical symptoms. So good. I love it. And this is where our work really aligns, I think, as entrepreneurs, right? I think so many people are chasing for the symptom adjustment or the symptom fix, right? The band-aid and really just like allowing ourselves to go a little bit deeper and uncover or unpack those underlying, I don't know, challenges, issues, if you will, but really just sort of like getting to the bottom of the, the cause and effect. So I love that you do that. I love what you've built. You have a full-time clinic, right? That you're in the clinic practicing, but you also are building your presence online, allowing yourself to have a bigger reach, a bigger impact, which I freaking love, but I want you to like share with us your journey of really what that was like to build the clinic to where you have. One of the things that I called for was like, I want to hear from women entrepreneurs that have built their business to six figures organically. There's a belief out there that this is hard or it requires a lot of either paid advertising or, you know, a lot of money behind the scenes. And so I would really love for you to share, you know, that journey and what that was like, and maybe some of the pitfalls that entrepreneurs could avoid. Yeah. So It's interesting because it was totally the mindset of, I could never do it. I don't have deep enough pockets. I'm so busy with, you know, not only clinical stuff, but also being a mom of two busy kids. So definitely imposter syndrome to the max as far as the business side of it, as well as I feel like at that time when I did transition to being on my own, I was about five years into doing pelvic health therapy, I guess a little bit more, but it was less that imposter syndrome, more so shifting into the being the employer or business owner 
owner. And so thinking like the cost of brick and mortar and all of this, the standard physical therapy practice. And one person that I follow online who is a physical therapy coach and somebody mentioned something about a mobile practice. I kind of paused and I was like, oh, well, that'd be cool. That's different. What I do, I do internal work for patients to address their symptoms and everything. So then I had to like really pause and like, how can I hold a professional level of care if I do internal work in somebody's home, which for a lot of people sounds really different, very awkward also. So it's just making sure that I can hold that presence of professionalism. And then I started seeing that there were mobile pelvic health therapists in that little network as well. And so he planted this see just by some random social post. And then it got my wheels turning about two and a half years ago now. And I was so burned out because there's so much productivity standards and standard clinical practice. My employer really was trying to push me to see more patients. And then I was the director of that clinic. So there was just management on top of productivity standards and all the things, right? And corporate America, especially corporate physical therapy is notorious for burning therapists out quick. So that is a piece of the puzzle for sure in my decision. And then I started talking to my husband about what if I started mobile? Like, how would you feel if I wanted to have somebody come in and treat me? Do you think you'd be comfortable with that. And at the time in my prior employer and being employed there, I was seeing both men and women. So I kind of set the standard that I was only going to treat women. I wasn't going to treat men in home, but that allowed me to start seeing patients on the side. So it was a total side hustle. So I was treating patients 36 hours in clinic at the prior practice. And then in the afternoons, evenings, weekends, seven days a week, I was seeing patients and I had kind of grown a network of support from local midwives and doulas and OBGYNs and neurologists, all the people, all my standard referring providers. I had a pretty good connection and reputation with them. And so I just kind of whispered in their ear that this is going to be happening. And I did let my employer know he did give me the grace to do the side hustle. We had some things that we were really clear about. And with that, my goal of transitioning away from that practice, the being an employee of at being transitioning at a year happened in three months. I just busted it. I was, like I said, burning the candle at both ends and it was a total leap of faith. I was nervous as hell, but oh my goodness, I, looking back, it has been such a blessing and it's grown and it's grown fast and furious. And I'm just so excited to just reach more people to educate them on this, such a small area of care that there are so many misconceptions about. Oh, I love this. And part of that, right, is like educating and like serving our people, right? And moving and elevating our brand. And so people trust us enough to see us as an expert and listen and think differently about these things. There's so many things about that journey that I want to unpack a little bit. I think there is, well, the imposter syndrome, right? This comes up for everybody. And I think it's really, really important to address that this is so normal to feel like, you know, you don't know enough yet. You're not ready yet. Who are you to teach these things, do these things, right? Even ask or reach for a certain level of success. 
And so I love that you said that this was something that you experienced because I really want to bring this to the table and let people into the secret that this is normal and it's just a part of overcoming. Tell us some things as far as imposter syndrome, and I'm sure it probably surfaces still even to this day. Tell us how you overcome those feelings of imposter syndrome. Yeah. So initially it was literally just baby step by baby step, staying focused on the clinical care that I wanted to offer, making sure that my offerings and my services are high quality that I expect of myself and my employees and just really follow through on that piece of it. You know, we're human. We all make little hiccups and mistakes and just acknowledge that. Don't try and cover it up. Just say, I'm sorry. And you know what? They're going to respect you that much more. And then once those little things started falling into place and I felt like I was getting in my flow, then it just seemed to grow. Now my biggest imposter syndrome moments are being an employer and hiring people and bringing them on. Why am I good enough? How can I hold enough of a reserve, if you will, of finances to be able to afford paying them and have that safety net, like all these different pieces. And part of it, I really lean into my energy work and like putting it out in the universe and manifest the stink out of it. Like I really believe in manifesting and you know, like attracts like. So if you can hold that higher vibrational frequency, then that's going to be drawn into you in your physical world. So true. And I think what happens is the manifestation works on the opposite end too, right? If we're Mm -hmm. so focused on the lack, what we don't have or the feelings of I'm not good enough, I'm not doing enough, right? We're just going to get validation that that's the case. And so if we shift and like, how can I show up to serve today? Or how do I need to be showing up as this person that will build a six-figure business? How can I be sitting in those feelings today? And that is how we manifest, right? We, like you said, we raise our vibration vibration, but we raise our vibration, but already putting ourselves in those feelings, in those spaces of who we want to be. And I love that you said that because I think too many people look externally, right? For that feedback or validation, if they're on the right track or they're getting enough client testimonials or they're doing all the right things, but you have to create that from yourself, which will then lend to serving at a higher quality, right? Creating higher quality products higher quality services, and that just continues to expand and build momentum. So I love that you said that. Like you said too, like if you seek external validation, then you're giving power away, Mm -hmm. which really is true. And so there's many times that I have a list of mantras that I will just repeat to myself in the shower when I'm getting ready and just keep repeating it until you believe it and you have to feel it in order for it to be that much more effective. Yes. Oh, I love it. Success is inevitable. That's my mantra, right? My success is inevitable. And if I continue to operate from that space, right, then you can't lose whether that's being validated externally or not. Like you just have to build that belief. I love that. I also want to talk about the side hustle mentality because I know so many women and men that are starting a side hustle. And this came up on a coaching call, actually, I think I a week or so ago of like what that was like to build a side hustle while working full-time corporate. And my answer was like, it's messy. Like I have no other way to describe. And I don't think you can avoid that messy. And I think we always want to make it right. Especially like type A perfectionists. We want it to be clean. 
but there's a period of messy that I think you cannot resist and you just have to, like you said, leap into faith and continue to take those baby steps and navigate that messy. What are things tactically that you did that helped kind of maybe make it easier or at least put into perspective for you so you could kind of place yourself on the other side of that and know you were on the right path or there were better things coming? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing for me was really knowing that when I was in the clinic, I was giving my focus to the clinic. When I was after work, then I was with the kids until they went to bed. As soon as they went to bed, it was a sacrifice that my husband and I made. And I just shifted and I went into it, whether it be online building or content writing or whatever it may be. And my husband, thankfully, was super flexible and allowing of me to just say, nope, sorry, right after work, I'm heading over and I'm doing treatment till this time. So a lot of honest conversations and balance of family, home, and relationship was key for sure. I mean, communication of the people in your circle, in your world, so that you can create a little bit of structure because obviously it's going to impact them too if you do have a family that you're living with, right? So if you're a single person, then there's a little bit more flexibility perhaps, but there's still other people in your world that it's going to impact. So really, I think one thing that's still a struggle for me is carving out time for yourself to rejuvenate and refresh because definitely just burned the candle (laughs) with a huge flame. It was tough. There's no lie. It was messy. And we were talking about this, I think yesterday, where that's usually the first thing to go, right? And people put themselves at the bottom of the list, even if they're doing all the busy work, the doing right in the business or the family, generally self-care, it gets dropped to the bottom. And I can feel it even in the last couple of weeks, I've let that slide because it's just been, you know, an overwhelming phase as we transition into the new school year. And I feel it mentally, emotionally, even if it's 20 minutes a day, like moving your body, it's the meditation, it's the praying, whatever that looks like for you making sure you have that protected space and it doesn't have to be, you know, two hours at the gym or a daily pedicure or whatever that looks like. So I love that you said that. I think also the communication piece, there's sacrifices that will have to be made and a conversation upfront to avoid misconception or the miscommunication, right. Of what the expectations are. I, you know, was working full time as well. And I was doing coaching calls at eight or nine o'clock at night. But I think too, Chelsea, tell me if this was the case. It was letting go of that shame or guilt that I could have created for not being, you know, as present as maybe I would have, you know, either way, right? It's like letting go or not creating that. Yeah, it's still hard, especially when you have littles. It's just, I feel like that's part of being a mama. It's so hard. And I, there's still times I do kind of come down. We all, we all have shame and guilt about what we should do. And I always tell my patients, like, don't stress yourself. But, you know, it's tough. And I think that continuing to check in with your partner, your family, making sure that they are doing okay. I know that there were several times that, I was feeling like the balance, the energy was just more imbalanced, more stressed at home and having to just have an honest conversation with my husband and, you know, like, how are you doing? Like, we've got a crazy week ahead. This is what it is. So planning and looking ahead also helped just so that he could mentally prepare of what his role and expectation for that coming week was going to be. We also did try to carve out a little bit of 
time, at least one weekend a month where I wasn't working, tried. It, it wasn't perfect, but, you know, we did what we had to do. So good. I love that. There's a lot of, I think, belief of that planning process of making the official transition from corporate, right, to being on your own. So you said, I think it was three months that it took for you to build the side hustle and then you made the decision. Tell us what that decision was like. Did it come early on? Was it like a last minute? What was that process like of just making the final decision? I call it right, like the launch it girl moment. When did you go all in and what did that process look like from a decision making perspective? When I looked at my week and I had my time blocked out for the clinical care and then my availability for aftercare. And again, being mobile, so in-home care, I had to also account for travel time. So there was a little bit of a loss of opportunity there. When I couldn't get people on my side hustle schedule within like two to three weeks, that was my limiting factor with my availability. I knew, and I was getting, you know, new patients inquiring quite frequently through that process. I knew I had to chat with my husband to make sure he felt comfortable enough for me to pull the trigger and for me to let my employer know that, hey, sorry, like I appreciate everything you've done. I really appreciate that you've let me do the side hustle. He was totally surprised when I did let him know that I was going to be leaving that practice because I had told him just as I had kind of thought that, you know, it might be a year, it might be two years, it might, I don't really know, but it just grew fast. So that time was when I wasn't able to grow more in my personal practice because of my restrictions and treating in the clinic. Yeah. And I think too, there's also this idea, like I need to match financially what I'm making in a side hustle to corporate. And that's really, really hard. Is that the case for you? Did you wait until you were financially matched? Not quite. It it was definitely less than that. So we had to have a little bit of a reserve so that we could allow for that. But then again, I just really manifested and put faith that it was going to just come to fruition. And the people that I wasn't able to get in for three weeks, then I could suddenly get in right away, right? Then I could increase my revenue at that time too. So that's where the leap of faith came in was having that. I, you know, I did take out a small loan just in case, but even then it didn't take much for me to pay that off and move forward and be able to grow. Yeah. Love that you said that. Cause I think Again, it's really hard to build a business on the side, right? And try to match what you're making. And there's this belief that I need to match before I make that leap of faith. But that wasn't the case for me at the time. And I weighed what I was missing out, right? That opportunity and knew that if I could go all in on my business, you know, everything would expand. But if I waited until I was matched financially, there's, there's no way I would have been able to grow as fast. Yeah. There's only so many hours in a day. And even at that, there's only so many hours in a day that we should be doing work and that sort of stuff. So, yes. Okay. Tell us like, I think this is thrown around a lot of like the leap of faith. It really is like, it really just is taking that leap. And I also committed to like, I'm not going to operate my business out of scarcity. Right. So I'm not going to leave corporate and then just continue to operate in fear that I'll never be able to replace that income. Can you give us even some like tactical steps as far as like, what, what does that look like to take a leap? And as far as even manifesting, what did that look like for you? Yeah. So I knew how many patients I had to see each week in order to replace that previous salary. And so I really, again, would just in the shower, have the mantra, like, 
this week, I'm going to get two new patients on the schedule. And this month, I'm going to have six new patients or something along those lines, right? So that was like what I would do personally, and then to just manage it and really be able to allow myself to pay myself first. Early on, a book called Profit First was introduced to me. And I'm super grateful because I, that was one fear is that I was going to go into business and have to always pay out to all my bills and never have enough for me. Instead, just like I try and tell my patients, you know, put yourself first and fill yourself up and then you can spill out to the others. So it's just a budgeting practice in essence, and you just have percentage allocation for your OPEX, for your tax account, and then for your owner's draw. And so you know, as long as you're making this amount, you are going to earn a living instead of always being, you know, the last person to get the slice of, of the pie. So good. I love the specificity. I think this is where it's like, you have this idea of like broadly manifesting something, but when you're specific about what it is you're looking to receive, it's so powerful. Right. And I think it creates more realness. Right. Yeah. And then there's the other nugget to always include is, or better, because we might have our limiting fears and think that maybe only two patients this week, but maybe there's four people who need us. So, you know, two people per week, or better, right? So always leaving it open-ended for the universe to be able to pull more to you. So, good. so specificity is important, but also with a little bit of loosening the grip on the details. Oh, so good. I'm glad you said that. I want to talk a little bit about what it was like to shift from employer to business owner, right? To entrepreneur and probably like a couple of the biggest mindset shifts that you had to have in order to make that transition smoothly. Yeah, the biggest mindset shift was that I could just simply do it. Like Again, I just had to hold that feeling that I was a successful employer and, you know, I have a solid message and a solid need and pulling in more people to help me with that is just going to allow a bigger reach. So again, mindset was the biggest hurdle for me and still, still is from time to time, depending on what transition I'm in. And I think, again, just knowing how I each week kind of delegate out my finances, I still have my reserve. I, I can account for enough of a cushion for my office assistant and now my new therapist that I'm bringing on board, all these pieces. That was the biggest piece. The other piece that always gets me hung up is the legal stuff, right? When in doubt, like that is going to always be where I will just spin my wheels and spend an egregious amount of time trying to figure it out because I don't want to do wrong. I don't want to do anything where it might jeopardize me, my family, or my business. So that's definitely something that I still, to this day, if there's a question of right or wrong from a legal standpoint, that's going to be my pause. And that was, that was tough for me to work through. Yeah. Cause when you're on your own, you don't have that protection, right? The corporate the corporate protection. And it allows us though to be resourceful, right? Like who do I need to lean on? Who do I need to call on? You don't have to wear all the hats. And this is, I think, something that a lot of solopreneurs do is they're trying to wear all the hats when you still have to delegate. You still have to build a, a toolkit of resources that you can draw from and count on, right? 100%. Yeah, delegation is still important to me today for various things. And 
yeah, be, be resourceful, lean into, you know, other people in your profession and who've done what you are hoping to do. You never know if they're going to be willing to help you just ask the worst thing they're going to say is no. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think I had to, um, really open myself up to that because I, I am a stubborn and independent person and I'm going to figure it out but also letting go of like, this isn't, this isn't my jam. I'm a pelvic floor stuff. Like I can work on that all day and I can navigate that really well when it starts to come to that stuff. Like let's talk to someone who's been there, done that. And what was their experience? What are their suggestions? That doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but it gives you at least a starting point and maybe an idea to maybe go to the department of labor in your state and ask questions or, you know, give them a call, the chamber of commerce. Those, those sort of resources are underutilized by many entrepreneurs. Yeah, totally. And I wanted to revisit something that you said about drawing on your local network. I think what you've done really well is you like really immerse yourself in the community by getting known. And this is how you have like such consistency in people coming through your doors. And I think as online entrepreneurs, uh, they shift to like this big thinking because online, right. You have infinite potential to reach people all over the world. And so, um, everybody overlooks your local community. And I was just having a conversation with this about a client. Like it's so much easier to get known in your community and use traditional ways of networking, connecting, right? Like serving your community to grow your business, but it's so often overlooked. What, what advice would you have for entrepreneurs in that regard? Yeah, so I started initially with a networking group called BNI, and it at least made some good connections with a few key people, which then helped foster there. I was already kind of networked again with a lot of the midwives, doulas, and OBGYNs. Physicians are a tricky beast to convince to change referral patterns. And I saw that even in the prior practice that I was at. We're all just as humans, creatures of habit and something to be new and introduced. And if they haven't done it, tried it, seen it, it's going to be harder for them to switch gears and now recommend something to their patients. And I found too often for me personally in the clinic prior that I do a lot of marketing to pregnancy postpartum, just because that's where a lot of things that women experience really begin and can be mitigated if it's addressed properly. So I'd see these women come into the clinic during their pregnancy. I'd educate them about care postpartum, and then they wouldn't come. So that was another reason that I started out mobile in that it's me coming to them eliminated another hurdle, right? But at the same time, once I started coming to them and educating them and going to the midwifery clinics and the doula groups, they're going to be a little bit more open and talk about a little bit more alternative care of this nature, then educating them about it and doing in-services for them, doing free assessments for various things that women experience, the diastasis and abdominal stuff, all of that really going to the community and serving them, then it started to really spread like wildfire. So finding your niche and those little groups that you can just foster, it's like a seed that you plant and grows in the garden. Oh, so good. And it's your, you like went above and beyond to provide this free assessment, right? So people could get a feel, an idea of 
right? What your practice, how you do what you do and building that connection, the know, like, and trust, right? And this same applies in the online space, right? Like providing that, those free opportunities, those like to share immense value. And then it's like, okay, what's next, right? Here's how, here's how you can work with me. You know, here's where you can find me. So I love that you said that's so powerful. The other thing that was really hard and still is hard is, and you remind us of this is ask them, make the offer, right? Like ask them to work with you. It was hard at first and it's still challenging as I navigate new avenues, but also being okay for people to say no. No is not a bad thing. They probably weren't going to be your ideal client. It probably wasn't going to be something that you'd enjoy a hundred percent. So I think that's a difficult shift for some entrepreneurs to do as well, especially if you have that scarcity mindset. When you let go of that and really trust that the right and perfect people are going to find you easy and quickly through known and unknown sources. I went through that mantra so much. I can't even tell you just to help bring people to you. So making the offers huge though. Yeah, totally. Right. If you kind of give yourself that permission, like I'm sharing this immense value, it's okay to invite people to work more with me asking, right. Making those offers. So, so good. Let's totally shift gears for a minute. I want to know when we talk about pelvic health, Tell us more about this. What do we need to know as women? I know like in a nutshell, right? There's so much to know, but I think there's, like you said, a lot of misconceptions. What do we need to know as women? Are there certain things we need to be looking out for? At what point do we need to go to therapy, right? Like tell us more about this part of you. Yeah. So obviously I'm biased, but I think that every woman should have a visit or two with a pelvic health therapist um, in order to know kind of what their strength level is in the muscles of the pelvic floor, what, if any sort of areas of problem, whether that be tightness or weakness or, you know, poor bladder habits. We are so susceptible to all these little things that are just habits that really cause a lot of problems. So I think some of the biggest misconceptions that I hear and I'm always trying to debunk is it's normal to pee after having kids. It is not. It's so common. One in three women experience urinary incontinence through their life. So, I mean, if you think about that, one in three, that's quite a few. And so with that, if we can properly address that, then it's a matter of like three or four visits in order to truly and effectively address it. And then that saves you the cost of pads, the frustration, People start to limit their physical activity behind it. They have surgeries and there's complications from surgeries and pain and it, it gets frustrating, right? Um, so bladder control, it is not normal to pee when you sneeze. <laughs> so all of that is definitely huge. Um, after having kids, a lot of women just kind of go through the path of like, okay, I'm either just going to they're in one of two camps. My body is what it is. It, the changes are just there and I can't do anything about it. Or they're gung-ho and they try and do anything and everything. And they're really hung up on some of the changes that have occurred from like the stretch of the abdomen or the stretch of the muscles through the vaginal delivery. But again, it's not just doing a ton of core work and exercising to an extreme it's really learning how to work with your body. And there's so many little areas of restriction that are created from a pregnancy 
that then continue to cause abnormal function. Like the abdominal organs get positioned all out of whack and then the tissues can that surround the organs can kind of hold them out of position and continue to perpetuate the diastasis. Again, that separation of that abdominal wall in the front. It can cause back pain. It can cause pain with menstruation. So there's another myth is that menstrual cycles are going to be painful. Forget the statistic right now. I think it's one in six women have painful periods and miss at least a day of work, right? Because of the pain. So if we think about all of that and we really start working and looking at the deeper cause of it, it's just a restriction in the tissue around the uterus and it can't contract to slough the lining of the uterus during our, our period. And so all these different things it, are just like mind blowing and that they can be addressed, but even providers don't talk about it. So you have to be resourceful. You have to be wanting and willing and searching for this a lot of times to be able to start to hear this. The other one that really gets kind of touches a heartstring for me is whether it be from vaginal delivery trauma or cesarean trauma or, you know, a unfortunate event of past trauma, there's a lot that is held into the body and then it can cause pain with intercourse, pain with just even walking around or constant movement or bowel movements. But people who suffer with pain and they just think that's the way that they're going to have to live, especially with intercourse, like that's a way for people to connect with their partners. And then there's fear and shame and guilt and that they just think that that's the way it's supposed to be. It's so rewarding to help women get back to feeling like themselves in their body and to really empower them through their life so they can live a life unlimited, whatever that looks like for them. Oh, so good. Oh my gosh. There's so much like stuff that we could unpack. You know, we talk about the strength of a woman, but all the things that you talked about are really debilitating. And so it's really important to really get to the root cause of those things. I think, you know, what we talked about earlier is like, I think there's too much care of the symptoms, right? And you really have a holistic approach to working with women to create a fruitful way of, of living, right? So I think what we're going to do though is definitely link up to your Facebook group because I know you, you obviously serve people locally in the, cl in the clinic, but online you're providing so much great wisdom and resources and knowledge to your Facebook group, which is, you know, reaching so many people. So we'll definitely include the link there. These topics are so important. And I think too many women just think, right, this is just the way it is and it's not. Yeah. And they're, they're taboo topics. I mean, let's yes. be real. Nobody except for probably me will sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about how are your bowel movements? Or do you pee yourself? How's your sex life? What position works better for you? Do you use a lubricant? Like all these things, I'm not afraid to ask, but they're important pieces of the puzzle. And so really trying to open up the conversation and allow those doors to be open. Oh, so good. Tell us briefly, how do you integrate energy into your work? Yeah. So really, you know, there's different stories that people will just kind of interject in their medical history, whether it be again, a birth trauma or physical, emotional, or sexual trauma from past. And so, you know, part of it is practice of, of knowing that intuition and knowing when is it physical or is it more an emotional piece. And so I've been trained in Reiki. Um, so I utilize a lot of that. So I can do my hands-on manual techniques and integrate the energy piece to it as well. 
So that think of it as like an electrical system with a light switch. If there's not good flow of energy through the body, it's going to get built up and have stagnant area and that creates physical symptoms. So if I can work and even just intention, get that energy to flow, that starts to help. Also coaching people through mindset. So more and more, I don't actually resonate with it with the title per se of physical therapist because I really am helping people learn how to work their exercises into their life, shift their mindset, do better stress management techniques so that their body doesn't have the physical symptoms. So again, kind of just teaching them how to balance mind, body, soul. But for me in the practice, it's really um, integrating that energy, the Reiki work with my hands as well. But the great thing about energy is you don't have to have hands on. So I can work on patients from a distance if they want just a pure energy session, which has been really fun too. So good. Oh, what you do is so important and just your, your gentleness, right. And your wisdom. And, uh, I just love you. Like, thank you so much for being here. I know too, I wanted you to mention you have a push prep course, which I feel like I needed the three times ago, right? (laughs) Tell us just briefly what the push prep course is and we'll include a link so people can check that out. Yeah. Push prep is an online class that I've created thanks to COVID where I had to make that shift, but it really is a great change. But it teaches women how to work with their body more effectively and efficiently so that they can labor and it be not only efficient, but really minimize any sort of tissue trauma or stalling of labor and shifting to cesarean. Because a lot of times we just kind of go into labor and think, all right, my body's going to do, and I'm just like holding on for the ride. Right. Mm -hmm. But if we can really learn how to work with our pelvic floor muscles so they can open and kind of move out of the way and then work with our breath to allow the uterus and our breath pattern to be the push versus the classic hold your breath and push and bear down. A lot of people want to strengthen their pelvic floor so they can push better. When in actuality, the pelvic floor has nothing to do with the per se pushing of labor. They really need to move out of the way and just let baby through. So coaching women how to do that through various techniques and then feeding into them a lot of knowledge and education about that zero to six week timeframe postpartum because there's another area that is lacking in support and knowledge for women. Yeah. Well, I think about, you know, I check out after baby and then it's like, see you in six weeks, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. See you later. Like, cool. So this, this is such an important topic and piece to that. And we get to do it in our own homes, right? We don't have to go to the hospital anymore to have like those breathing classes or whatever, right? This is so Mm -hmm. cool. Oh my gosh, girl, what you've given us today is such a gift. We've covered the business side of things, like what it was like, make that shift, like really pursue your mission and align with that. And then really what this means to like pelvic health, what this means and how it's applicable to all of us and how we really need to be kind of uncovering uh, some of those components so we can really love on our bodies and not at our bodies all the time. Right. Right. Uh, totally. Gosh. So thank you so much for being here. Tell us where we can find you and I'll be sure to include links in the show notes. Yeah. So my practice is treasure Valley pelvic health and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at TV pelvic health for my handles. And then my private Facebook group is feminine healing and pelvic health. 
And yeah, just join me. I have a new topic that I cover each week and always open to questions, helping people find people and providers in their community around them if they're not local. I am starting to have more and more people request consults from far away. So shifting into that opportunity too. So cool. Girl, thanks for being here today. So, so appreciate it. Thank you. And for pouring into us today. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. If you liked what you heard today and want to continue the conversation, join us in the Facebook community. Just go to launchitgirlpodcast.com. Can't wait to see you in there.